Yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. And I'll tell you what, it's sure good, uh, good to be back. It really is. And uh, as much as you like vacation, you can't wait to get home and rest. You know, that it's a euphemism, but it's so true. And we're glad to be home and uh, blessed to be here with you. Uh, of course, we're picking up in um, um, Exodus chapter 12, and it's where we left off. And uh, before we get started, let's pray. Father, we've gathered together for one simple reason, to honor you as King of kings and Lord of lords. It's in you alone that we have eternal salvation. And we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us in such a way that we would sense and know his presence, that he would speak through me to minister to these, your people, and that your name would be glorified and lifted up. And so, Father, we just commit this time, we commit this worship service into your hands, and we ask for your presence. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. A um, few announcements that I really need to make. Calvert Chapel of the Finger Lakes is having a ladies' one-day retreat. And if any of you ladies are interested in going to it, see my wife, Vi, and either for registration or for uh, signing up carpooling. And also, um, this Monday, is our, there's a sign-up sheet in the back office for our adult dinner night out. And any, anyone who is an adult, over 18, you know, out of high school, wants to join us, sign up. It's a great time of fellowship. It's just wonderful. And also, uh, I wanted to mention that uh, a week from yesterday, six days from now, uh, my darling son, my precious boy, <laughs> Frank, is going to be leaving for Guatemala on a short-term missions trip with the um, American Federation of Christian Athletes. And uh, that's what it's called, right? No. Federation of... Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I've never been good with acronyms, but, but he's going to be there too. <clears throat> and we want to pray for him because, uh, you know, they gave him things to be, uh, you know, aware of. And like one of the things that you don't have a, a group attack you in order to uh, harvest your organs. And uh, so it's like, you know, he tells me that and I'm like... <laughs> so what we're not only praying for is for his safety, <clears throat> but that God would use him to minister to the people of Guatemala. And we have a bunch of care packages we're taking over. And so at this time, I'd like my son to come forward and anyone who would like to, to lay hands on him, and we're going to pray for him for this trip. He didn't know I was going to do this, so. <clears throat> and I'll stand up on this because I'm shorter than everyone. But... <clears throat> Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and I thank you for my son, and I thank you for the ministry and calling you put on his heart to Guatemala. And we pray not only that you would put a hedge of your protection and safety around him, but that you would anoint him and fill him with your Holy Spirit in such a degree that every, every word he utters would minister to the people there, and he would come back with such a good report of many of the Guatemalans coming to faith in you. And so, Father, I commit my son into your hands. I commit our pastor into your hands, and I ask that you would use him in Guatemala in every possible way. And we ask this and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
you know, we're beginning uh, chapter 12, and this is when um, God had arranged for the children of Israel to actually exodus from um, Egypt. And there were many prophecies that were fulfilled in order to assure the people of Israel that this exodus was going to occur. You know, we had all those plagues. And in the same way, we have to understand that there are many prophecies the Lord has given us concerning the times in which we are living. And I, just, I want to share a few things with you. I call this my own little prophecy update. Now, the Jubilee was celebrated. We'll be getting, and when we get into uh, Leviticus, we'll be getting into the different laws that the Lord gives the children of Israel, and one of them is the Jubilee year. In the Jubilee year, everything's set free. If you were a slave, whatever, everything is set free. Any debt you owed, everything is set free. I tried to tell my creditors that this was my Jubilee year, but anyway, but that was the purpose of the Jubilee year. Everyone is set free. Everything is set free. Now, on the Jubilee of 1917, uh, the Belfort Decree was signed by Arthur James Belfort, first Earl of Belfort, who was a British statesman, he was a conservative politician, and he was also former prime minister of the UK. And uh, then on November 29th, 1947, the UN partitioned Palestine, it was all called Palestine at that time, uh, allowing for the creation of an Israeli homeland for the Jews. Now you have to understand there were many Jews that never left Israel, never. And so when they went back in 1917, allowing them to establish, uh, you know, a residency there, it was a big deal because many Jews came back at that time. But then um, after the war, of course, we know, uh, and that's the reason the U.N. partitioned this land off, the Jews were so persecuted and so devastated by over six million being put to death in the chambers that the U.N. was more inclined to give them. They wouldn't today, but to give them this homeland. And uh, one of the interesting things is that uh, the, the children of Israel that went back there went back with joy and went back with singing. And so the Holocaust, as awful as it was, it was the very um, device that the Lord used in order to bring them back into the land. But understand, it was prophesied by the word of God, that they would be back in their land. If anyone asks you, how can you prove prophecy is true, true, all you have to do is say Israel. There's never been a people that have been deposed from their homeland for over 2,000 years, come back to their original homeland, speaking their original language. The Hebrew of today is the same Hebrew that Abraham spoke. You know, how absolutely amazing is that? Now, on May 14th, uh, on um, May 14th of 1948, it was 47, the Jubilee year, that uh, the UN declared that they could have uh, a homeland and partition the land off. But it was on May 14th, 1948, that Israel itself declared itself as a nation. And as soon as they declared themselves as a nation, they were attacked by all their neighbors, overwhelmingly outnumbered, and Israel won because God was with them. Then on the next Jubilee, 50 years later, uh, in 1967, the Israeli army during the Six-Day War, it was called the Six-Day War because once again they were attacked by all of their uh, Muslim neighbors and, and all the nations around them, and they defeated them in six days. On, um, anyway, General Moshe Dayan 
led his troops into liberating Jerusalem for the first time in 2,000 years. And they marched through the eastern gate into, into the holy city. I mean, do you understand how absolutely amazing that is? It was the first time in 2,000 years that the Jewish people were allowed to come into the western wall and worship their God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Absolutely amazing. Then on the next jubilee, which is 2017, on December 6, 2017, President Donald Trump announced the United States would recognize Jerusalem as the eternal capital of Israel and ordered that the embassy would be relocated to Jerusalem. Prior to that, the embassy was in Tel Aviv. And he did. As a matter of fact, on May 14th, he waited until the declared anniversary of Israel. On May 14th, uh, 2018, they moved their embassy to Jerusalem. And that is absolutely amazing. Why? Because Jesus entered Jerusalem the recognized capital of Israel as the Lamb of God to be crucified and to die for our sins. And it's prophesied and we're told in God's word that once again, Jesus, our Christ, would once again enter Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's absolutely amazing. You know, we have to understand of uh, the primary nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38 is talking about, Ezekiel 38 and 39 take us from the beginning of the tribulation to the end of the tribulation. Those are two chapters you should study intently. And the very beginning of Ezekiel 38 talks about the fact that all these nations, these particular nations, were going to attack Israel from the north. Well, there's a few things that we can uh, detect from that. Number one, Israel has to be a nation. And they are. And that these particular nations would come against Israel. Well, what we find interesting, that right now, three of the main characters, three of the nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38, are in Syria. And, of course, we have Russia, Iran, and Turkey. Iran was Persia. And so they're in Syria right now, north of Israel, to come in from the north. And we're told that the very reason that they're going to attack Israel is for a booty. In other words, for the spoils of war. That's why they're going to come in. Now, many of you might have seen on the news where German Chancellor Merkel was in Israel and she went to Vaj uh, Hashem, you know, the, uh, the Holocaust Museum. But she also met with the Prime Minister of Israel. She met with Benjamin Netanyahu. And their discussion, in fact, any of you who don't have the app, Behold Israel, you want to have that app on your phone, it's free. And Amir Sarfati, who's our guide when we go to Israel, he is a third-generation Jew born in Jerusalem, and he is a believer in his Messiah. He's a Christian. And he has this app that brings out the news that we don't hear. Because we have to understand, there's only one news that we hear whenever we turn on our TV sets and radio. Politics, 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 politics. That's it. What's happening in the world? I don't know. <clears throat> but he was sharing <clears throat> that when Merkel 
met with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. You know what they talked about? The natural gas pipelines. Because the natural gas pipelines, the Russians want to run through the, and have already some running through the Mediterranean Sea uh, into Germany, from Germany, from Russia into Germany. As a matter of fact, Germany is the, the primary and main consumer of natural gas from Russia. And Benjamin Netanyahu says, no, we want to run the pipeline to you. And she has pretty much agreed to it. And so if, if uh, they agreed to that, because a lot of people don't realize that, um, because we don't hear the real, all the news, but Israel, right off their, their shores in the Mediterranean Sea, in Israel territory, they found the largest natural gas deposit in the world. And so they start supplying this natural gas to, Russia, uh, to uh, uh, Germany. Russia will be ticked because they don't have the best economic conditions anyway, and all of a sudden they're going to lose that revenue. And so th that's just part of the booty. That's just part of the spoils of war that they're coming in for. Now, when you realize, here we are in 2018, and these nations, three of these nations mentioned in Ezekiel, are right there. And along with many of the Arab neighbors, you can read those portions, are going to come against Israel for the spoils, and to destroy Israel, which has been the mantra of, of Muslims for many, many years. to destroy. But something amazing happens. When they come against Israel, God sends fire from heaven and destroys them, and read it carefully, it also destroys their capital cities. That's going to happen. We're living in that time. How can we see all these things occurring and saying, well, it's just coincidence? It's not. Israel's a nation. All the nations that are supposed to come against Israel are poised right on the north, just like it said, to come in. All of a sudden, Israel has, has found all these natural gas deposits, and Israel, who never really had oil, has found all this oil. And I don't know uh, if you read any of these articles. I was reading an article last week, and guess what's happening? The Dead Sea is coming back to life. They found ponds just outside of the Dead Sea that go into the Dead Sea that have always been filled with that high salt mineral content, and it has fish in it. So many things. It's like, well, you know what I mean? If like someone says one thing, you'd say, well, that could be a coincidence. Then they say two things, and you say, well, that's interesting. Then they say three things, it's like, what? And then you have list after list after list of things that are being fulfilled in our time, and to just say, just coincidence. I think many people are willfully blind. I think many Christians are willfully blind. The church has become, really, a lion for the Lord without teeth. We say a lot, we roar a lot, and we do nothing. It's amazing. Now, all this, of course, is happening now in a biblical time frame, which indicates we should be ready. Uh, I love the portion, and you're welcome to turn to these verses with me because I want you to read it in your own Bible to know this isn't just some portion that I'm twisting. I'm reading the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 2 Timothy, and 2 Timothy comes right after 1 Timothy. Chapter 4 and verse 8. And Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's giving him instruction on uh, 
the kind of believer he should be in the hope that we have. And 2 Timothy 4, 8, it says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And day is capitalized in your Bible. It's talking about the day of the Lord when he comes for his church. We have a crown of righteousness waiting for us. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he's done. If you're waiting to be worthy to be raptured, you're never going to be raptured. We're being raptured because he's worthy. He paid the price. He did it all for you and I that we might be saved. Let me continue on. And not to me only, Paul is saying, but also to all. And how many are included in all? All. And to all who have loved his what? His appearing. I love his appearing. I long for his appearing. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. It's not something often on you know, some shelf, well, maybe someday. And I, I long for his appearing. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I long for it every day. There's hardly a, a day that comes by that I don't think, Jesus, come for your church right now. There's nothing that I have to complete before he comes. He's completed everything himself. Now, this is why our faith must be real. And that's what I was referring to. We're like a lion without teeth. This is why our faith must be real. We are not called to be political, but we are called to be faithful and to declare the truth of God's word. And I'm going to read to you from a book I, I started. And, um, and it's by Erwin W. Lutzer. And uh, the title of it is, When a Nation um, Forgets God. And he was uh, the president of Moody Bible Institute for some time and uh, also senior pastor of the church. And this was a, a quote he has in here from Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor. Now, listen to what he says in relationship to what led to the Holocaust and to the gas chambers, okay? The print's very small, so I've got to really try to read it, get to the right place. The gas chambers of Auschwitz were the ultimate consequence of the theory that man is nothing but the product of heredity and environment. Or, as the Nazis like to say, of blood and soil. I'm absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Treblanka, and Medanek were um, ultimately prepared not in some ministry or, or other of Berlin's organizations, but rather, listen to this, at the desk and in the lecture halls of the nihilistic scientists and philosophers. Now, a nihilistic uh, person is someone who denies any form of God or any form of a list of good. In other words, there's no such thing as good and evil. And they also teach that life is meaningless. And you see what's happening in our universities today. And if you have young people in the universities that have a conservative view, that believe uh, a biblical standpoint, oftentimes they're, not always, but oftentimes they're ridiculed and they have to be quiet. You go into class and you hear all this kind of junk and you've got to be quiet. Because if you say something, it's going to have a very negative effect on you. And so we have to realize the times in which we're living. 
Our nation is so corrupted. Now, here's what we have to understand. That oftentimes we've been taught that all the founders of our nation were great, wonderful, born-again Christians. No, many of them weren't. Many of them were absolute paganisms like, uh, pagans like Benjamin Franklin. But here's the reality. Even though some of the founders of our country were pagan, our country... And from its foundation was based on many Christian principles. It was the church from the very beginning that grew and made this country strong. So when you hear people say, oh, some of the leaders of this country were, were pagans, you know, the founders of this country. Well, they were. But what does that have to do with the growth of the nation, which was through the church? Do you follow what I'm saying? And it was the church that grew and grew, and it was that kind of Christian morality that made this nation great. And so we have to understand that the morality of this nation has taken a plummet. For instance, the latest statistics I could find were in 2014, which is three years ago. As of 2014, 45,151,389 abortions have been reported in the United States. This number does not include unreported abortions. Okay? So that number is, one, in this country, 125,000 per day in the U.S. are put to death. Now, we have to realize that any first-year biology student learns conception, or life begins at conception. At the moment of conception, you have a vile human being. And, I mean, like we have a right to life Sunday, which is wonderful, but I think it should be a right to life every day. You know, not just something we celebrate on Sunday, something we should be speaking up about. And I'm not saying that you go out and you... I, I don't, personally, I don't think protesting does a lot, but personal one-on-one -on -one does a whole lot. And I think if we're willing to talk to people about our faith, talk to people about what's right, talk to people... It would go do a, so much, but yet we're quiet. We're afraid of, of what people might think. Think about, um, we all have seen all the drama of uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh being confirmed as a Supreme Court justice, which he was sworn in last night. The thing that's interesting is that the people were, who were opposed of, uh, of his being confirmed as a Supreme Court justice, their greatest fear and the reason they opposed him is that Roe versus Wade might be overturned because now we have more of a, of a conservative Supreme Court than, well, I think it's the first time in 60 years. We have a conservative Supreme Court where the majority of them are against abortion. Their greatest fear was that abortion would be, you know, made illegal again. Roe versus Wade would, uh, would be overturned. I mean, how is that your cause? Brothers and sisters, you understand what I'm talking about? Your cause is the right to kill babies? That's your cause? And we've become so blind to it. I even hear Christians talking about, well, you know, when, when the zygote uh, actually becomes a child, from the minute of conception, it's a child. You have all the chromosomes present. You know the whole haploid, diploid, and this and that. All the chromosomes are present at conception for that human being. How blind are we? And on top of that, in this nation, adultery, fornication, 
homosexuality, transgender identity. And you might be saying, where's transgender identity in the Bible? Well, turn to Deuteronomy. It's the next book we're going to be covering. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. Now listen to this. Now you have to understand, much of the wording that we read about in, in the Hebrews and what they call the, the present uh, affirmative tense. In other words, it's a requirement. It's not just, you know. But anyway, in Deuteronomy 22, 5, it says this. If you're following, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garments. For all who do this are an abomination to the Lord your God. What does that mean? It means exactly what it says. Now, there were some legalists that took that portion at one time and said, any woman who wears pants is violating this. That's not what it's saying. Men wore dresses in those days. No, they did. They had the whole, you know, long thing. But the point I'm getting at, what it refers to is putting on that thing that identifies with being a woman or if you're, if you're uh, a man or putting on those things that identify with a man if you're a woman. The Bible says it right here. It's not just something I put up. You know, I made up. Also, putting self first, seeking after riches, alcohol and drug abuse, violence. And we know the violence in this nation. It's unbelievable. How many uh, policemen were killed last week in two different states? North Carolina and where was the other one? Filled up. Where was it? In Mississippi. You had multiple police officers shot and killed. Violence is, is rampant in this country. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is this. What are we going to do with Jesus? It's a personal question that each one of us has to ask ourselves. I can't make the decision for you. You can't make the decision for me. What are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to declare his truth by our faith or hide our belief of the one true and living God under a bushel basket? What are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to let our light shine? We love that verse of Scripture, and we love the children's song, but are we going to let our light shine or no? Now, I'm not advocating that you... And, and I'm, this is just my own personal preference, preference, okay? I don't like the, the shirts that we wear that say, turn or burn, and, you know, <laughs> you're going to hell, you sinner. You know? I don't like those kinds of things. But the reality is we should be living for Christ. People should see Christ in us, and as opportunity you know, avails itself, and it will, we need to share our faith. We need to share the truth, not hold anything back. Well, what are people going to think of me? Who cares? They probably don't like you anyway. You know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> we just need to do what's right. And, um, and also, now as we're getting into this portion we're looking at, we're going to find in this portion of, of Scripture that God delivered the children of Israel by the blood of the Lamb and His power. Right? That's what we're going to find. He delivered the children of Israel by the blood of a Lamb and His mighty power. And we're going to find, as we study Scripture, as we continue through, that also, in the same way, God has promised to deliver us by the blood of the Lamb and His power. Anyone 
who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Guess how many are, are, are included in anyone? How many are included in anyone? Everybody. Well, only certain ones can get saved. Well, I don't know where you get that. My Jesus died for everyone. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so by his blood, we are released from bondage every bit as much as the children of Israel were. Think about how your life was before you got saved. Think about it. You were delivered. Didn't mean you became perfect. Didn't mean you didn't make mistakes. It didn't mean that, you know, all of a sudden you've arrived. But your heart was changed. You had a desire to seek after the things of God. You might falter, you might fall, you might stumble, but you get back up. And that's why I tell people that my favorite verse, favorite verse of Scripture that we, I find in Proverbs, it ministers and encourages me. It says, though a righteous man fall, he rises again, but the wicked fall by calamity. In other words, they don't rise. So what is the indication of you being a righteous man or woman? When you fall, you get back up. That's what it means. And that's encouraging. So all that to get to uh, Exodus 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of your year. Now it's interesting, and you can do your own study on this. It's interesting to look into. Rosh Hashanah, or the head of the year, the new year for the Jews is now in September somewhere around September 10th. So why did it change? What they say is that they feel that's when Adam was created. But it's just interesting to look at. Verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the 10th of the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, the male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Very interesting. You know, so we, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can be saved. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly, the congregation of Israel, shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentils of the house, the top frame of the house, where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire. Pay attention to that. And uh, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water. Notice that. But roasted in fire, its head with its leg and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, Moses instructed all the congregation of Israel. Now, it's interesting that Israel went into Egypt as a family. It tells us that. Study. They went into Israel as a family. They came out as a nation. But no nation is any stronger than its family. And the family is not any stronger than its faith in God. I mean, do you understand that in our nation how rare 
family is becoming, where you have a mom and dad and kids, that's becoming very rare. And why? It's because our faith as a nation in the morals of God has taken a nosedive. I mean, you go into the public schools, which you know I have substituted in, you go into public schools, and it's like you really are an outsider as a Christian. I mean, you really are. And if you take a stand against evolution or you take a stand against, uh, you know, the whole gay, um, you know, uh, lesbian, transgender, you know, philosophy, you're bad. I mean, the Scopes trials were set in place in order to share evolution as a possible theory along with creation. Now it's a complete reverse. You cannot share creation in the public schools. You cannot even though there's more scientific, I was a science major, more scientific proof of creation than there is of evolution, you cannot teach it in the schools. Our families, therefore, have suffered from this lack of faith in our nation. And that's the reason I, I really so encourage people as, as families, as believers, stay close to the Lord, stay close to your church. It's where we come together to worship the Lord and to encourage one another, according to 1 Thessalonians. Now, it's interesting that it says the Lord, um, that the lamb was to be, you know, taken from, you know, a perfect lamb without blemish was to be taken from the flock on the 10th of the month of Nisan. And it was to be observed for four days. And, um, And that to me is so interesting because you have to realize that when Jesus entered Jerusalem in what we call the triumphant entry, it was the 10th day of Nisan. He was crucified four days later on the 14th of Nisan. Preparation day. He was not killed on the Passover. Read John. It was, it was preparation day. So that day in all of Israel, when the lambs were being slain for the Passover, our lamb was slain on that same day. That's why in Mark 14:49, Jesus uh, speaking to the religious leaders, and it was before he was crucified, in verse, uh, Mark 14, 49, he says, Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And it's interesting because in this portion we just read, it talks about the lamb has to be roasted. Well, why? Because fire always represents judgment. Jesus was slain and put to death for our judgment. He took our judgment upon himself. And the reason it was not to be boiled, because boiled is indicative of human cleansing. There's nothing you can do to be saved. He did it all. He paid the price. He took the full judgment upon himself. And so we have to understand that. And you read these portions in Exodus, and it's so relevant to us today and to the church. It's absolutely amazing. It's, it's, it's amazing. And um, in verse 8, it says it was to be, to be eaten without leaven. And leaven has always been representative of sin. Read your New Testament. And Jesus was without sin. He had no sin upon him. And it also tells us it was to be eaten with bitter herbs. The price Jesus paid for our salvation was bitter. Don't think in any way that it was just, hey, this is no big deal to me because I'm God. It was the man, Christ Jesus, who died on the cross. Isn't that what Scripture tells us? 
Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. God can't die. And he took the bitterness. That was the only time he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, all of our evil, rotten sins of the whole world of all time were laid upon him. And that's why he cried out. It's also the beginning of the 22nd Psalm. The 22nd Psalm starts off, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's an amazing psalm because it describes crucifixion down to a T 600 years before it was invented. Pretty amazing. Well, it's just coincidental. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of coincidences in the Bible then. And a whole lot of them. And... uh, One of the other things that I wanted to mention as well is, um, well, let me just share this from 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I only have a little bit more. I won't take you over more than two, three minutes maybe. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and go to verse 27. And it's talking about the communion. The reason it's called a communion is because the body of Christ shares it together. You know, do this in remembrance of me. That's what we call communion. 1 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment upon himself, not discerning the body. In your Bible it says, Lord's. Lord is an inserted word. If you go to your, your uh, Greek-Hebrew lexicon, you'll find that the number there is 9999, which means it's an inserted word. It's not in there. It just says, not discerning the body. And so, in other words, when we gather together to share communion as the body of Christ, we're recognizing that God has given us a sacrament a sacrament that helps us recognize what he has done for us. Do this in remembrance of me. What did he do? He died for our sins. And that's why it says we're to examine ourselves. And so whenever I take communion personally, when I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm confessing my sin to the Lord. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me all of my sin and transgression. Because you can never make yourself worthy. Well, I've got to be worthy before I can take communion. Then you'll never take it and you're going to hell. Just to be honest with you. <laughs> He makes us worthy. And when we confess our sins, He forgives us. And He cleanses us and purifies us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. He does it all. All for us. And that's why we take this seriously. I mean, you have some young pastors that get up there and they're trying to be real hip. You know what? Hey, it doesn't make any difference what we have. We're going to, this really is true. We're we're going to, instead of having the fruit of the vine and having unleavened bread, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have Coke and Fritos. To do communion because it doesn't... Well, you know what? I don't buy that. This is to be taken seriously. The fruit of the vine has always represented to us the blood of Christ. And the unleavened bread has always represented his sinless body that was crucified on a cross. We don't take it lightly. But there are so many who want to be Christians without confessing real sin. I wasn't that bad. I tried to be nice and a loving person. And um, you're trying to boil the meat when you do that. You're unwilling to take the judgment of the fire, the fire of judgment. And this is where 
this is why none of it was to be left until morning. You know why? Either you have Jesus or you don't. You have all of him or you don't. Either you're saved or you're not saved. I've never heard a woman say, I'm partially pregnant. You know, either you are or you're not. Or um, he's, he's somewhat dead. Either you are or you're not. You're saved or you're not saved. And if you're saved, it's by the blood of the Lamb, and you don't have to worry about your own mistakes taking it away. It's the blood of the Lamb that paid the price. We belong to Jesus. And yeah, we mess up, we screw up, but our heart is with the Lord. And then it talks about with the cloak, you know, and it, was, it was like the dress they wore, was to be tucked into the belt, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand. And what was that to represent? It tells us a readiness to go. Are you ready to go? What if God calls you to go to your family today? What if God calls you to go to a friend today? What if God calls you to go to Guatemala? <laughs> Are you ready to go? Are you prepared, ready to go? What if he calls you to go to your neighbor? Sometimes the, the hardest and greatest ministries aren't going to some foreign land or doing some you know, extravagant thing. Sometimes the greatest ministry we have are our fellow workers, our neighbors, our friends, our family can be our greatest work. So my encouragement through all of this is what are we going to do with Jesus? Are we going to look at all the Commands of God as just being suggestions. I never heard anyone say, have you read the ten suggestions of God? Now understand, the commandments, the law of God was never meant to give us freedom because it can't give us freedom because no one can live up to it. The law of God was given to show us we're sinners. And when we recognize we're sinners, we know who to call on. Jesus Christ, who forgives us all of our sin. And because he's forgiven us our sin, we don't take his word lightly. There might be things that all of us are dealing with of the sins that I was talking about. There, all of us might be dealing with them. But here's the point. Deal with it. You don't just say, well, it's okay. Deal with it. Pray. Study the word. Deal with it. And he'll give you the victory. And I remember... Um, you know, I've shared this probably with many of you before, but um, it was interesting. When I got saved, I drank too much and, and smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. And that's a long time ago. Four or five years ago. No, that's like 40... How many years ago? 40-some years ago, 45 years ago. But the Lord almost gave me instantaneous victory over alcohol, which is interesting. It seems like it would be the hardest. But I had a hard time with tobacco. I mean, I probably smoked for up to two years after I got saved. But the thing is, I dealt with it. I never said, oh, this is okay, God forgives me, and he, you know, give me another pack. You know, I smoked, and I didn't hide in a corner. I smoked, but I knew the Lord didn't want me to smoke because it's destroying the temple that God has given me. And then there was that one day. Why, I don't know. There was that one day that I smoked, and I never smoked after that, not one time after that. You follow what I'm saying? And the point I'm getting at, it's not taking sin and saying, it's okay, but it's dealing with it. In this case, I dealt with it with that particular sin for two years. And many of us have besetting sins that we've been dealing with our whole life. 
but deal with it. Don't accept it as being okay. Father, I thank you for this body of believers that gathers at Breen Calvary Chapel. I thank you for each one who's here this morning. And I pray that the Lord's that have been spoken by your word would truly enter our hearts and encourage our souls. Help us to be the kind of believers that, well, we're lying with teeth. We're willing to stand for the things of God. The lion of the tribe of Judah is our leader, is our master, is our Lord. And now help us, Father, to be your evangelist, to be your ambassadors. And I pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want to share one other thing. I, I just, when I was praying, I, I remembered it. Now, whenever any nation is going to go, go to war with another nation, the first thing they do is call their ambassadors back home. First thing they do before they go to war with another nation. Well, there's a war coming. And God is going to pour out his judgment for seven years on this world, on this evil nation. And before that happens, he's going to call his ambassadors back. And what does scripture tell us? We are ambassadors of Christ. So get ready. (laughs) God bless you, brothers and sisters.